start in Matthew. Actually, I'm going to start and end on Matthew 6.33. It's going to be short. Um, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. And I'm going to preach today from a title, Do You Have Everything That You Need? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for giving us a place to come and worship you, Lord. We thank you for giving us a place to come and glorify you. Lord, we would just ask now that this time that you, um, that your words come through me, that it may reach ears and hearts and that we have understanding and knowledge that we gain so that we can further glorify you as we go through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, do you have everything you need? Does does anybody in here have everything they need? Now, I'm not talking about everything you want. I'm talking about everything you need, okay? So a lot of people would argue, well, yeah, because I've got a God that loves me, and I've got a house over my head, and I've got food to eat. And face it, if we're in America, our poor people are among the 10% richest people on a world scale. So we could argue that we have everything that we need, right? But when I talk about everything you need, um, most people, including myself, think about materialistic things. Because when I asked that question of myself, at the, you know, when I started looking at this verse, I was thinking, well, you know what? God has really blessed me. And, you know, yeah, I have, I have everything that I need. I've got, um, I mean, I, have a, 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 I change jobs, and I've got a job that, that provides for me and my family. And, I mean, I've got a piece of property and a house, and it's paid for, and so are my um, two of my three vehicles and my boat. I mean, I have an opportunity to have, I mean, I have, I have things. And so I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, man, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm blessed. But that's only a material list of items, right? So what about your relationships? Do you have everything you need in your marriage? Is your partner providing everything that you want? And are you providing them? Um, what about your relationship with your children, right? Is, is, are your children saying yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and doing what you ask the very first time you ask them and exactly the way you want them to do it, right? I mean, is it, you got everything you need right there? Do you have everything you need relationally? Um, emotionally, are you, a, are you a wreck or are you calm and cool? See, I think I'm, I think I'm good, right? Relationally, I think... Uh, you know, so I'm still in my own mind. I'm thinking, well, yeah, I got everything I need relationally. I mean, I've got a wife that loves me. I've got a family that loves me. I'm like, we're, we don't argue. Um, I, you know, um, I, I, I sit back on the back porch and I tell my wife, I'm like, man, I, you know, I just, I love our life together. It's like, it's great. Like, these are the best years of my life um, is spending time with you, right? So in my own mind, but still, it, do you have every, do you have that? Um, relationally, do you have that emotionally? Are you at calm? Um, and then I started thinking, okay, well, you know, physically, um, I made this comment the other day. I know Cedric and I specifically, and I know there's others of you in here, but 
you know, Cedric still goes to the gym and works out, and he's older than me, right? And I still go to the gym and work out. We're both in our 60s, and, um, you know, I'll work out. I, the job that I have is, a, is an adjuster, and I climb on top of roofs, and um, I just came from Minnesota, and um, for those of you that are not into roofs, um, around here we have what they used to term pitch, and that is how far down the roof goes over 12 inches. So if it drops four inches, it's a 412 pitch, right? Minnesota, their 1212 is pretty common, right? That's a 45 degree angle. Um, God's blessed me to be able to go up on those and give me extra money in my paycheck. And then I got to a 2112, right? 2112, any of you that want to see it, I leave my phone in the office when I come up here just so I, you know, 2112, this house. I can't even, I mean, that's about a 10 pitch for that, for the, this rail right here. Um, 2112 felt like this to me, right? It was crazy. This house had nothing on the front of it. It was sloped down so that when you drove up, you looked at the front of the roof. And it. I asked him, I'm like, so at your house, do you... Um, are you the house that you get everybody to come and set lawn chairs up and put a projector across the street and put it on the front of your house because it looks like a movie screen? But I was up on that roof. I got pictures being up on the top of that roof. Terry's like, ain't no way. I ain't going up there, right? So I thank God for that. I thank God for the physical things I've got. And, and then I started thinking, you know, man, I'm cruising along, right? I've got all these good things, and I am blessed. And I don't, I mean, I thank God for everything that he's given me. I am blessed. But then I started thinking about spiritually, right? And then I'm like, hmm. You know, I do read my Bible every day. Um, I, there's maybe six days a year that I'm not in my Bible. Um, but sometimes I skim through it. Sometimes it's a check on my checklist. So that I can sit here in front of you and go, well, I read my Bible every day. I'm on it. I read it every day. Even if it's just a proverb, even if I only get halfway through the proverb of the day, I can sit here and say, I'm reading my Bible every day, right? So that's a thing for me is I can say that, you know, oh, well, yeah, in the spiritual realm, I've got this because I'm, I'm, I'm listening to God daily because I'm reading my Bible, right? But do, do I pray? Yes. Do I pray like I should? Probably not. Probably not. Right? I got a really active mind. I know you've heard pastors say before, you wouldn't want to be in my mind. That's kind of the way I am. Sometimes I tell Nancy how, I, you know, I'll say something, and, I, and then I'll tell her, well, here's how I got to that thing that I just blurted out, and it's a really long trail to get to that thing. So I can tell you, and I'll be honest with you, I talked about the hour of prayer here. And I was talking about things that I knew, not things that I was suggesting to you. Because I'll get up here and start to go sideways and think about work or think about the boat or think about whatever, right? And I've got to refocus. And that's why if you come at that time for this hour, it's such an important thing is because it allows you to refocus and pull back in because you're in God's house and it's, you know, you, you kind of realize what's going on. You're like, oh, how'd I get there? Let me go back. When you're at home, you get, how'd I get there? And you get up and you go and take care of that task that you just thought of. So I would venture to say 
that I would probably be accurate if I said that there's no Christian that has everything they need, right? And I, and, and I would even venture to say, um, because Billy Graham, who's probably the greatest evangelist in my time, um, you know, his one regret was that he didn't have an opportunity to save more lives, right? And if you ever watched, um, if you, now I, I was watching them live, but if you ever watch old um, crusades that Billy Graham did, and um, play that song, I Come. Man, people are from, the, from the audience were coming downstairs by the thousands. I mean, he was saving thousands, and yet he didn't feel he had everything he needed, right? Um, because he was seeking more, and he was seeking for the kingdom of God. So if you fall into that category of Christian that um, doesn't feel like they have everything that they need, um, we're given two commands in Matthew 6.33. And the first one is to seek. The first one is to seek the kingdom of God. And I, I mean, just, you know, look, I mean, we kind of all know what seek means. But if you look up the definition, it's an attempt to find something. It's an attempt or, an, or a desire to obtain or achieve something. It's to ask for something from somebody, search for and find someone or something, right? So if we are seeking God, then it's an active verb. It's an action that we have to do to go out to seek the kingdom of God. And so it's easy to tell somebody, hey, this is what you need to do. You, you need to seek the kingdom of God, right? And so there are, there are ways that you can do it, but if, you don't, if you're not instructed on how to do it, it's easy to say it. They have a general concept of what you're talking about. Okay, I need to seek the kingdom of God. Well, what's that mean? Well, it means I need to live better. Uh, maybe it needs I need to you know, read my Bible more. But in Matthew 19.24... Jesus said to the rich man, he said, I'll say it again, or to his disciples, I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich, man, rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were like, what? Well, if he can't do it, how can... So here, just because we know what to do and because we might have the means doesn't mean that we know how to get from point A to point B, right? We don't, we don't necessarily know. We know we're supposed to seek, seek the kingdom of God, but we don't necessarily know how we need to do that in our lives daily so that we can get there. So in the two, um, in the two commands that are given um, in seek, I, I put down a few things, and I say a few because um, of how to seek the kingdom of God because I literally could stand up here for weeks on end, 24 hours a day, have other people come in with breaks. I mean, the Bible is full of ways to seek the kingdom of God, right? Um, but I'm just going to give you a few that jumped out of me at the beginning to, um, to, to move that way. So what's the very first big thing that we need to do? need to get saved, 
right? So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then it's hard for me to communicate to you because I'm talking to Christians. It's my job to talk to brothers and sisters and cause the Bible to make sense. It's up to, it's my job, if you're not saved, to bring the word to you so that your ears might be opened, your heart might be open, and that God would reach into your heart and would save you. It's, it's something that we, but that we want. Um, everybody in the world is our desire because Christ came to save the world. He didn't come down to save individuals. Christ came to save the whole world. All right? So the very first big thing that you need to do if you're not already saved is to get saved. Right? So that's the first big thing. Mark 16, 16. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Right? So... We've talked about this before. Anyone who believes, um, and we've talked about the fact that Jesus is the most documented person in the history of the world, so you'd have to be a lunatic to not believe in Jesus. Um, I had a friend of mine when I was um, in my te late teens. I was in my first year of college, and <clears throat> I worked with a Muslim at a... Um, had a junkyard, and we would talk a lot. And I wasn't well-versed then, and I didn't know answers. Um, and you'll find that religions that like to bash Christianity have a tendency to know Christianity probably a little better than we know it ourselves. It's a shame, but that is a general thing that happens because they get taught what to say so they can bash us, right? And we're not always ready for the response. But this Muslim friend of mine, um, we, uh, we would talk about it, and he was like, well, our Muhammad's just like your Jesus, you know? And he would make references to how they thought Jesus was a prophet. I mean, he... He believed in Jesus. He thought Jesus was a great teacher, was a great prophet in the Christian faith. And he compared him to Muhammad. I mean, so it wasn't that just because he was Muslim that they didn't believe in Jesus. But here's the key word. You have to believe that he's the son of God. You have to believe that he's been since the beginning of earth or prior to the beginning of earth, since the beginning of time, you have to believe that Jesus was and always was and that he only came on earth a few thousand years ago so that he could save us. While he was on earth, he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died and then he rose again from the grave and sits on the right hand of the Father right now. That's the belief that this is talking about. Anyone who believes and then is baptized will be saved. Now, don't get caught up on this and is baptized will be saved, it's the belief part. It's the belief because the thief on the cross didn't have time to get down and be baptized and Christ said, you will be with me in paradise today. So it is the belief in Jesus Christ will be saved. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And let me make this point that has been taught from this 
pulpit before is we all talk about, oh, we're going to live forever. We're going to live forever, right? Who's we? Christians, right? We're going to live forever because we're saved and we're going to be with God, right? Well, let's get that clear. Everyone's going to live forever, okay? We are just going to happen to be with God and they are going to be condemned. So the first thing that we have to do to seek the kingdom of God is to get saved. And then the next verse I want to go to, um, just real short, is um, Proverbs 3.3. 3. And it says, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Okay? So... I've got another verse that says, I've got a verse, I may have mixed mine up. My child, I think verse 7, 3. What's 7, Keon? Uh, Proverbs 7, 3. Should have been the next one. Or Rick. Mm, okay. All right, so let's go back to 3, 3. And I've got, my child never forget, I may have been in my New King James, my child never forget the things that I have taught you. Store my commands in my heart. Tie them as a reminder, tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Okay, so this is the part I want to focus on right here. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. So these are... Um, when you're in Proverbs, and it's give, Proverbs is giving you these life verses of what you're supposed to do. There's a whole slew of things, and we, we obviously can't go through the whole book of Proverbs here today. And again, I'm just trying to hit on a few general things, but here's the thing. When you become a Christian, after you do the first big thing, the next thing that you need to do is you need to learn how to be a Christian. Because if you haven't ever been a Christian, then you're not going to know how to be a Christian, okay? And I go back, and I've said this before, um, one of the biggest things in my life that I regret, one of my biggest regrets ever in life, was as a teenager, is I used to listen to, I mean, I just, okay, as an unsaved person, they will tell you, the 70s and 80s, that's the greatest time for music, right? Rock and roll, old, you know, just, I mean, it had super cool bands, um, if you're unsaved. And um, Motown, rock and roll, southern rock, just the whole, like the songs back then are being played today. And the sad reality is, is when those songs come on and I hear them on a radio or I hear someone pulls up to me in a truck next to me and they're playing, is I know all the words to those songs. Right? My biggest regret today is that I didn't memorize Bible and I memorized secular songs. Because, I, I, man, I've had pastor, I've had other ministers in our church, and they're like, oh, it's easy to memorize Bible verse. Use the sandwich method. You know, blah, 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 sandwich it, right? Get it together. I'm over 60. 
I can't remember how to put my sandwich together out of my refrigerator, much less remember a Bible verse. But I can remember, you know, Doobie Brothers' Black Water. I mean, come on. It's when you're young. They say that children will retain most of their knowledge when they're young. They say the best time to teach a child foreign languages is at five years old. Right? They get it. They retain it. We get these things in our mind and they never go away. When you're old, that doesn't really happen. And that's my biggest regret in life. And that's what Proverbs 3.3 3 and Proverbs 7.3, and I was going to do a teaching one time on memorizing um, these, the, the, um, all the scripture that references something that would lead to memorization. Tie them on your finger as a reminder, right? Did anybody, is, is everybody not all, I mean, did anybody tie a string around their finger to remember? So, oh, yeah, this is going to, you know, I got to do my homework tonight or whatever it is that you got to do. This, you, you do something that's like, okay, this is going to remind me to do this. So you want to, all the, the things that are being taught in Proverbs is tie them on your finger as a reminder and write them deep within your heart. That writing them deep within your heart is the memorization I had of them stupid songs back in the 70s and 80s. That's what I was writing on my heart at the time, and they're still with me, right? I, I, I'll just be honest with you. Um, I have to be in the Bible so that I can tell you where to go find something. And I might not even know the, the, the exact verse. I'll tell you what, man. I'm, I'm very envious of you, Keon, because I was watching you preach last week, and I know it wasn't on his notes, and he was just like, boom. And in this chapter, this verse, it says this. And Pastor can do that. And, the, and Pastor learned a thousand verses within the first, what, month or two of when he was saved. I mean, it's so when you, when you do this, then you gain this knowledge, right, which is another proverb. It says to gain wisdom and gain knowledge. These are the infant things that you're doing as a Christian so that you know how to seek the kingdom of God. These are the things that you're doing so that you can move forward and seek the kingdom of God. It's, I mean, it goes from, it, it, it's just a whole list of everything. How to treat other people, how to have, you know, in relationships, um, stay away from harlots, right? That's men and women. I mean, you know, when you get into the, you know, the, the, the cheating proverb, um, you know, it's, just, it's like, hey, good, godly, strong, godly men, follow her down to the paths of hell because her tongue is smoother than oil, right? This Bible is giving you verses on how to live your life so that you know how to live, so that you know how to seek the kingdom of God. In Psalm 119, verse 7, it says, As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. Well, again, if you haven't done the first, you can't do the second. As I learn your righteous regulations, right? I mean, it, it really... It really bothers me, including myself. And I group myself in it. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. This is in myself. Is I find it a shame that other religions are so, and, and cults 
are so wound up that they learn everything they can about their cult or their religion and then they follow through with practices whether it's knocking on your door or whether it's laying down in the street prostate in um, in uh, uh, New York City facing Mecca I mean there's other religions that just do more than we do and it's a shame because we're the ones that have the creator of the world that are calling us his children right and so the problem that we have is we go through life or we, we, we start life and we, we're going through it and we might go to church every once in a while um, I'm not saying anything on parents well kind of but you know I mean if your parents it says for you to change to train your children while they are young so that they will come back now it's they, they might come back older they may go haywire when they're teenagers right but here's the thing I, I have I know someone that did not they call themselves a Christian they they call themselves a Christian they won't place themselves under authority of a pastor which is a problem because the Bible commands us to do that and they don't go to church and they call themselves a Christian and their child they don't train them and their answer is I don't want to be forced like I was when I was a child I want them to learn on their own and make their own decision now do you think that a child at 12, 13, 14, 15, 18 is going to say, oh, I think I'll just submit myself to authority. No, it's not going to happen. They're not. They're bucking every type of authority that they can at that age. They don't want, not only do they not want a pastor to teach them or a youth pastor to teach them, they don't even want their mom and dad. They don't want their teacher. They're bucking all kinds of authority. So if you allow children to do things on their own, then they're lost. You've done a complete disservice to your children by not training them when they're young, right? And training them is, you, you know, don't be the parent that said, I mean, and I was, right? So I, I'm just telling you, when you hear me say these things, most of them is because I know it was things I did wrong when I was younger. But don't be the parent that says, do what I say, not what I do. If you want your children to get into a habit of praying to God daily, then you need to pray with them when they're young. If you, need, if you want your children to get into a habit of reading their Bible daily, then read with them when they're young. Right? And when they get a little bit older and you don't have to read with them, be reading that, you know, I mean, have your private devotion time, but be reading your Bible in front of them. Let them see, right? Continue to train them, continue to show, because that is the relationship between you and God. That is your relationship. So, as I learn your righteous regulations... The only way you're going to learn them is if you are trained on how to 
learn them. And one of the things that you do, and one of the things that it tells us to do, is to memorize our verses. I mean, it doesn't use the word memorize in the Bible. I looked at a bunch of different scriptures, but there's probably 12 scriptures that will look um, like the one we just saw, where it says, write them in, you know, bind them in your heart, tie them around your finger. That's all talking about learning the regulations of how to live to how to be a Christian. And then it says, I will thank you by living as I should. Right? So in Romans 6.16, it says, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. All right? So do we have a choice here still? Right? We may have learned, Sonia's shaking her head no. That's because she knows there's only one right choice. But I said a choice, right? So you could go both ways on this. You do have a choice. And here's the thing. Children that are trained right, that's why it doesn't say. If you train them right when they're young, they're going to be you know, saved, live a great life. They're going to be like Jesus. They're going to do everything you want to do. That's not what, that's not what happens. And... Even if you learn what you're supposed to do, and even if you know what you're supposed to do, you still have a choice of whichever you choose to obey. Right? Sin or God. And it says that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey. Right? How many of you know that when you tell a little lie that when that gets questioned because it doesn't make sense to your parents who didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday, right? That you got to go deeper, right? And then your lie gets you deeper. And then they find out something like, well, well, that doesn't even make sense. So then you go deeper and then here's the problem. Now you've gotten so deep that you can't tell the truth because you're just going to get just whooped. Right? I mean, mama that just don't, has never laid a hand on her, you've gotten so deep, she's going to lay a hand on you. Right? Because you have gotten, and you've gotten scared. And you get so scared that you go deeper and deeper and deeper. Right? And that's what happens. And it doesn't have to be a, a child. I mean, it could be us. It could be me. Right? If you choose to do the wrong thing, and then you try and then you call yourselves a Christian. Now you're trying to cover up and it just takes you deeper and deeper. Sin always takes you deeper and deeper than you want to go, right? And the sad reality is it leads to death. A real death. A death after the judgment seat. When you get up to the judgment seat and you are not in that book of life and you have been a slave to sin your entire life, then you are going to hell. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Now, a lot of people, well, you know what? I'm going to say what I was going to say until um, we get into the next thing. And the second, the second command that is given to us in this original verse, Matthew, is to live righteously. Okay? So... Seek the kingdom above, above all else and live righteously 
and he will give you everything you need. Okay? So I stayed in Romans when it talks about living righteously. And in, verse, in chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, it says, Now you are free from your slavery to sin. You have become a slave to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Okay? So that's where I was going before I rolled into this verse, is Christ is using, or Paul is using um, the slavery illustration, and don't get me wrong, it's not Paul, it's God using Paul to write this. Previously, you let yourself be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Okay? So just what we just said. So I'm talking now about living righteously as opposed to seeking, right, uh, seeking the kingdom of God. Um, so when you seek the kingdom of God, you've learned the things of what to do. You've, you've learned how to talk to God. You've gotten into this relationship, and now you want to live righteously. And so now Paul's using this um, illustration of slavery, so um, saying that if, you are, um, if you've let yourself be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, it'll continue to lead you deeper and deeper into sin, which is what we just talked about, is once you get going in it, it gets worse. Once you get going in it, it gets worse. I mean, I, you know, if I get pulled over for speeding, I'm just, I just do what the officer says. I'm nice. He's doing his job. I don't care if it was two miles an hour over or eight miles an hour over. But there was a day, and I really wasn't wrong. <laughs> I promise. I had a pickup truck. I had my two-year-old son in his car seat in the front because it only had one bench seat. And I was going to a business meeting. I had to drop him off, go to a business meeting, and I had a suit bag in the back of my truck, right? And when I hit the speed limit through Baton Rouge, Louisiana, it was 65, and when I hit 62, my suit bag started to lift up. And I'm like, oh, I can't lose that. Ah. So I was forced, and you guys that know me know that it was forced, that I had to drive three miles an hour below the speed limit is not normal for me, ashamingly to say. But I was doing three miles an hour below the speed limit. And in Louisiana, they, got, they have rock trucks, right? And this rock truck was just right in front of me, just pounding my, just on my windshield. Hadn't cracked yet. And I'm like, well, I got to get out of here. I'm going to change lanes, right? So I look in my mirror, and there's two cars, and they were racing, literally racing. They were both doing in excess of 100 miles an hour, easy. They were both souped up, hot rods, whatever. And the median had a big, high, seven-foot wall in the middle with just room for parking, one vehicle, and it was on a curve. And the plan was when these two went by, I was jumping over as fast as I could because I'm getting out from behind this truck. And I did that, right? And as they went by and I jumped over, a cop was sitting right here. They were going so fast, I watched his eyes go to the mirror, and he saw me. And he pulls me over. Well, he goes, you know, I see him. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to get these people. I said, Andrew, watch this. We're getting ready to see blue lights. 
right? I didn't think they were going to be behind me. I thought this guy was going to go by and go chase these people, right? He got behind me. I'm like, he pulls me over. Uh, do you know why I pulled you over? I'm like, no, sir. I, I absolutely do not know why you pulled me over. Well, you were doing 98, and I'm like, you see what I'm driving, right? It's a 1996 F-150 with basic model. Like, it, the speedometer only goes to 95, and it never hits that, right? And he's like, no. I, he goes, I looked at He goes, we, he goes I'm not even on I'm whatever. They're using radar or sauna. They were, whatever was the newest at the time. And uh, laser. It was a laser shot, whatever. And, um, and I said, well politefully as I could, and I was at the beginning. I said, just to be honest with you, there were two cars racing. I was getting my, I told the whole story, right? And he's like, ah. And then I'm like, okay, look, I don't deserve this ticket. And, uh, and he's like, you know, you better settle down, son. And then I was like, okay, look. I said, I, and now I'm in negotiating stage. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, if you will get behind me, I said, I ain't going to run because I, I can only do 62 in this truck, and I'll prove it. I said, if you'll get behind me, I'll pull out and drive one mile. And at 65, if you don't see my suit bag fly out of there, I will sign the ticket for 100. And he goes, you're signing it right now for 100 right now. And I was like, well, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you that you can lay your head down tonight and get a good night's sleep knowing that you gave a righteous man a ticket for doing 98 in a pickup that could only do 62 miles an hour. One more word, son, and you're going to be riding in the back of the police car to the jailhouse, right? So something as simple as that. It can get you deeper into sin, right? Just... We have to do what we're doing, have to do what we're supposed to do. And if somebody in authority, unfortunately, and Cedric can tell you in, in military, unfortunately, somebody in authority is not always smarter than you or even right. But if you're in that position, then God commands us to submit to authority. But we want to get away from that and give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. In, um, so becoming holy and living holy, I could go off in a whole different tangent. There's a whole bunch of ways that we could live. Um, again, th like there's sermon after sermon after sermon that, that there's more words that I could even go through. But in James 3.17, if you want to take a look at James 3.17... It's where it talks about the pillars of wisdom because that's one of the other things in Proverbs that it talks about you doing is in this um, to memorize. It's telling you to get, that's the beginning of Proverbs is to get wisdom and to get knowledge, okay? And if you've been here long enough, you'll know that the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, right? And it says to fear the Lord is to hate evil so we can break it down really simple to have righteous living is that to, um, to fear the Lord is to hate evil, but to get the beginning of wisdom is to hate evil, right? So that is the beginning after we do our first big thing, which is get saved, is to um, hate evil. And 
when you hate evil, you will give yourself so that you will start becoming holy. And in James 3.17, the pillars of wisdom talks about a few of these things. And I'm not going to go deep into them because <clears throat> I know that that's a whole sermon on itself is the pillars of wisdom. Um, but purity, right? Purity is first. We want to live pure as Christians. We want to have, we want to do the right things. We want to be pure of heart. We want to um, contain evil thoughts. We want to contain evil actions. Um, it's one thing to not do anything. It's one thing to do the right thing most of the time, right? But that don't mean your mind is going off and crazy going, man, I, uh, you know, I'd really like to give them, you know, something. So the Bible says not only, right, the Bible says not only to do the right thing, but it also says to control your mind, right? So when you start having those daydream, those trails, you want to rein that back in and you want to control your mind. You want to live in purity um, both in your physical daily activities along with in your mind. And you'll find that the more that you start controlling your mind and cutting those evil thoughts off, they come less and less, right? Just telling you what I know. Um, peace. You want to be at peace with people, right? We're not out here... Um, we're not out here trying to um, force people into doing things. All we can do is lead people, give them the word, and we don't want to, we're, we're not trying to get into arguments with people. We're trying to create peace through the word of God and through the way that we live, right? So we can create peace through the way that we live with others. Um, it, arguments take two, fights take two. Um, you don't want to get into that back and forth. You want to show people by the way that you live and you want to have a peaceful life um, when you're living. You want to be gentle, right? Same thing. You don't want to be, you don't want to have anger. You shouldn't be. Now, here's the thing. Children are supposed to do what their parents tell them to do, but as a parent, you can't just like dog whip them and curse them out and downgrade them like, all the time. Right, because then they will have a reason to come back at you. So you need to be gentle. A gentle word is going to get um, in the long term. Uh, there might be time we need to snatch them up once or put a bar of soap in their mouth. But um, but a gentle word, if you back it up with your actions, you have to have you have to have an if and then. You know, if you do this, then you're going to have that happen to you. You're going to have to have your discipline, whatever it is you choose as a parent, right? But a gentle word of, um, you know, come here, boy, you did wrong. You know, what's, what's the punishment for that? And if he says, you know, well, I know, it's three licks are coming, then you go give it to him, not in anger, but with gentle strength. You can be gentle and still have strength. You have to be willing to yield is one of the pillars of wisdom. That was really hard for me. But that cop, with his last word, I yielded and I took the ticket and then I went to my buddy who was a district attorney and he's like, pay the ticket. I'm like, but I wasn't wrong. He goes, how many times you've been speeding and didn't get caught? <sighs> All right, I'll pay the ticket, right? So I didn't even argue it, but I was willing, you have to be willing to yield, but do that in a Christ-like manner. Do that in your life. Do that, as a, do that in relationships, whether you're a parent or a child. Now, you don't, have to, you don't have to allow your kids to like, always get the best of you because they should be doing 
what you tell them to do, right? But if you just make some stupid statement that's obviously wrong, then you need to understand. And you need to sit down and have them a talk with that, right? That, because they have to show you respect. Even if you're wrong, they have to show you respect, and that's not respect there. Don't be doing that in church. Right? All right. So they have to have respect. First, um, first commandment with a promise. Honor your mother and father. It doesn't matter what they do. Honor your mother and father, and with it comes a long life. Full of mercy. You have to be full of mercy. And in, in that one, that one's easy to me because I know what I've done against God. And if God has mercy for me, then I know that I can give mercy to others. Um, live without partiality, right? Treat everybody the same. Um, I've given a story here before. Um, I grew up in a white community. I mean white. We had 3,500 people in our town. And if you can figure out the number of people, it was 99.78% white. Um, and so I never had issues. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have to try to figure it out when I was growing up. I didn't have racial issues, to be honest with you. I, I, I wasn't in confrontation with them. I didn't have opinions, right? I, I hadn't preformed opinions because I didn't have... I wasn't in conflict with anybody that wasn't white. And then I went to college at Southern Mississippi, um, and it was a lot of myths, right? And I've told the story before that um, I, I met two young black men the same age as me, and one of them, his name was Webb, and he was the coolest dude ever. He had a voice like Barry White, Man, we got along great. We would sing. We'd talk about unsaved things. And we would laugh and we were friends. And it was awesome. And I thought, this dude's a great dude. Right? And then I met another guy who played on the football team and went on to be a pro football player. And he was just a jerk. A jerk in the worst way. And it was at that very first year that I ever encountered race is that I made my mind up at that point in time. People are good or people are bad. And that's that. It, to, for me, right? And I came across somebody. It didn't matter. White, brown, black, or yellow. I would engage, go back and forth. And if they weren't what I liked, if they, weren't, if they were a jerk, I would just remove myself from them and go over here. And some of my best friends were black. Some of my best friends, I had a Muslim friend. Um, I mean, it just, it didn't matter, right? If you showed yourself friendly, you got friendly back, and you want to live without partiality. And then the last one in the pillar of wisdom is without hypocrisy. And we all do that, but it should be a slip-up. We shouldn't live a lifestyle of hypocrisy um, because, um, you know, a pastor alludes to this all the time. People don't go to church because everybody in there are hypocrites. Everybody that goes to church are hypocrites, right? Well, Walmart, right? You, you still go to Walmart, right? You still go to Publix. You still go to school. You still go wherever. You still get up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror, right? 
I mean, we're dealing with, with hypocrisy every single day, and we're looking at hypocrites every single day. So you want to um, get the wisdom that would allow you to live without hypocrisy. In Corinthians 6.14, here's another good one. And again, I just picked out some bullet points that were good for how to live righteously is don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Period. Right? That's pretty... It doesn't say, well, she's the cutest one in my class, but, you know, she, she's unsaved, but she's the cutest. She's so cute. You know what? I'll bring her to church. I'll win her over. Right? How many times, how many times have you heard the old... Uh, the, the, the story or the theory is, you know, when you reach down to help somebody and pull them, it's easier for them to, because they got all the weight there, it's easier for them to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up, right? Which is why we're told, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can a righteous partner be a partner with wickedness? How can light and dark live together? It can't. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked, right? Um... I'll use an example. Um, I have... <sighs> Nancy's saying, no, don't say it. I can feel it. Um, <laughs> let's see if I'll... I'll just... I, I know a person, right? Um, a Christian woman. And her son was brought up the right way, and he's a Christian, he's a Christian man. And um, he was going to get married... And his fiance's mother was lesbian. Okay? So my sister expressed concerns because the girl wasn't trained the right way. And she's like, you know, don't you guys think this might be an issue or a problem down the line? Like, do you not think, do you not see yourselves as unequally yoked in the Bible? And her son was like, oh, mom, you're... I mean, it almost caused her to not be able to go to the wedding, right? So she bit her tongue and they got married, okay? And he's an airline pilot. It's not your dad. <laughs> My grandkids that are here now, her dad is an airline pilot. Um, he was an airline pilot. He made plenty of money. And he provided a great living for the family. They had children... And when the children were two and three, because he flew so much, she got to be good friends with her best friend. And then her best friend was there for her all the time. Then her best friend stayed over. And then she asked for a divorce because she's a lesbian now. Right? Don't be unequally yoked. Um, I have a great success story with my son, Andrew, who did the same thing. And Tabitha got saved, and she is a godly woman now and is doing great. And they have a great family with three great children. And I'll leave it short at that. So it's possible, but it's not probable. And I talked to him about that too. Don't team up with unbelievers. In Timothy 2.22, says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust, right? I got two teenage grandkids in the back. You think they got some youthful lust? 
I thought it was, I didn't think it was right for their mom and dad to leave them in the house this weekend, but they said, well, grandma and grandpa are only a mile and a half away, and we'll come over and surprise them at any time, so you better be doing right. That and cameras, you know, help out. Um, But here's the thing. It doesn't say when you're young, run away from anything that stimulates youthful lust. How many of you know that at 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, we still think about stuff that happened back in the day. We still see things in our life that stimulate us that are like, hmm, man, if I was only 20 years younger and not married, right? I mean, those are things that we need to run away from. If it stimulates something in your mind that kicks back, and it goes back to that same thing about control your mind, when you, when you start, because you're going to get those. The Bible says that your heart is evil among all imagination. It's just, a, I mean, it's, it's horrible, right? We have an impure heart. And so our impure heart is going to naturally go to those things. But you have to do the things that you're supposed to do. You have to, once you get saved, you have to get into your word so that you can memorize these verses so that you know how to fight off other people, um, religions, impure lust in yourself. I mean, the devil made you do it is not that common of a thing. It's you that made you do it, right? So when you get those youthful lusts, run. Run away from it, right? Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Now, you would think, so run from anything that stimulates you, right? So a lot of people are, and I've come across a lot of people in my work and in life, and they're like, well, I know I should get saved, but I'm just having too much fun, right? Doing the things I'm doing, doing the things I want to do, right? They're doing their youthful lust, and they see it as a penalty to get saved, all right? When I was just gone in Minnesota, a brand new career, I'm an insurance adjuster, and it was my first major deployment, first one, right? But... I also have been a manager. I only had three jobs since 1984. And my first one was manager at a Fortune 500 company. And I, we had Teamsters in our, um, that was the labor force. And so I worked back and forth in a management union environment. And then um, after 18 years of that, I had my own business. So I'm working with, um, customers and you know customer service and treating them right and providing the service and so I had all that going for me and it was in a contractor field so when I became an adjuster I had some of these advantages of life under my belt even though I had no idea what an insurance adjuster did and um, until I got out there <clears throat> so now I go to Minnesota I'm on my very first deployment and I don't mind working from sunup to sundown. I don't need breaks. I don't take breaks. Um, I used to tell people that work for me in the fence business, um, Big Jimmy's walking around here. He can attest to it. Um, my break was you keep a hot bottle of water in the sun laying next to you, and you know if you 
got thirsty, you hit one swig and put it back down. I mean, and then we got 20 minutes for lunch because that's all it takes you to eat, right? So I was able to um, push through this when I got there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do what it takes to get done. And I, would, I worked and worked and worked, and um, it wasn't um, very long. In my second month as being an adjuster, all of a sudden I get this phone call from my boss, and she says, hey, I'm going to reassign this. Um, problem case to you um, they just the first adjuster they're just going off the wall they can't talk to them they're really upset they're complaining to State Farm can you call this person up and settle them down I'm like okay so I called up set a second inspection did my thing and then I got another one of those right and then I got another one of those and then finally I got enough to where I'm like I'm just asking just asking are you guys like mad at me or is this, is this a good... And they're like, no, no, no. You're doing so well that you're handling these situations that we are giving them to you, right? So in relation to this, um, when people think that they're having fun and that there's no fun doing it the right way, it's not necessarily a step back and it's not a punishment, which is what unsaved people think. They think it's a punishment, and my first reaction, it wasn't really, I kind of knew, but it, you know, my, I, I had the, you know, I asked my boss, like, oh, am I doing something wrong or are you punishing me, right? Because I'm not having any fun anymore. You're giving me these just horrible things, right? So you relate to this is when you're out there having fun, I mean, you should be living stupid like unsaved people because you're unsaved, right? If you're not living life to the fullest in the most... Um, wicked sense, then you're missing out because you're not saved. You're going to die anyway and you're going to go to hell, so you might as well get what you're going to get here on this 80 day, 80 years on earth or the 40 or even the 20 that it might take because of the type of living that you're doing. Right? But here's the thing. If you ask my wife, we're not living a bad life. You ask the Dixons. You ask the Huffs. Everybody, we're not living a horrible life, right? And that's what, you, that's what they don't understand, is because we live a Christian life, or try to, doesn't mean that we're missing out, right? We are living a great life. We are living a great life. If we seek God, and we seek the kingdom of God, and we live righteously, God's providing everything that we need, right? And in Titus 2.12, it says, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and a devotion to God, right? And we're getting close on time. I don't want to go over, and this has gone through the same things that we've talked about, but I want to point out that it's telling us what kind of world are we living in? An evil world. We are living in an evil world. And we should do it with wisdom. And what's the beginning of wisdom? Is to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. So we should be living in this evil world, hating evil. Living it with righteousness and living it with a devotion to God. Now... Just because I've gone through all these things and we've talked about and you know how to live a righteous life, you know how, do we always do it? No. 
We don't. And I'm going to read, um, I don't think the verse is up here, but I'm going to read from Matthew. <clears throat> and it's when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and they were asking him, why, what authority? And it was, are you, you know, is John baptizing and, you know, is, is it from heaven? And um, they, the Pharisees, finally replied and they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. And then Jesus turns it on them and says, but what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. Now, I, I would have to stop right there. Elliot, would I allow that answer? No, he's shaking his head. No, I wouldn't. But later, he changed his mind and he went out anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, oh, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. So which of the two obeyed the father? And the Pharisees answered the first. And then he explained his meaning. He says, I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get in the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw it happening, you still refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Right? So we're talking about the Pharisees of the day. The Pharisees of the day did everything outwardly the right way. They knew how to dress. They knew, I mean, they had robes. They had ornate um, uh, necklaces. They had, you know, they, they looked the part. They said the right prayers. They knew the word of Scripture. Um, they were the ones that had put themselves in the power of all judging. Like They were like, this is what it's all about, right? But just because you know the right way to dress or just because you, you're not cussing all the time or saying the Lord's name in vain, just because you come to church, just because you throw some money in the plate or come to food and clothing or even go on a missions trip, just because you're doing all the right things doesn't mean that you're saved. And what a horrible way to live, by the way. Because if you're not having the fun of the sinful, evil world, and you're living this right Christian way, but you're not saved, and you're going to end up the way they are anyway, you should be going the way they are anyway. What you need to do is to truly repent and get saved and ask God for forgiveness. So... In the parable of the sower and the seed, right? So we've been talking about Christians and we've been talking about what you need to do to seek the kingdom of God and um, do you have everything you need? Well, in the parable of the sower and the seed, first of all, if we take all the Christians in the world, lump them together, the, through that parable it says that three out of four of those Christians are not even Christians, that they're doing this Pharisee thing, that they're fooling themselves. They don't have a personal relationship with God, right? They're just doing the motions and going through it. But let me ask you this. Let's don't focus on the three out of four that do. Let's focus on the, that call themselves Christians that are not, but let's focus on the one. The one out of four, the truly saved. Is that one, do you think that they have everything they need? No, they don't. We already said in the beginning that none of them do, right? On Wednesday night Bible study in Haggai, in 
chapter 1, verse 10, the first four words of that verse is, it's because of you. And God was talking about the curse that was brought upon the people instead of the blessings that were being brought upon the people. Right? They, they, it, it's the verse that talks about like you're, you're putting money, you're working hard, your wages, you're putting money in your pocket, and it's emptying out like um, sand if you had a hole in your pocket. Right? And it's talking about trying to get, um, you know, hoping that they had 50 gallons um, of wine and they only ended up with 20 or 50, you know, bushels of grapes and they only ended up with 20. I mean, it's, it's in Haggai, God's telling them directly through the prophet, it's because of you. And if you don't have everything you need, guess what? It's because of you. God, throughout this book, has many if and then promises. There, there's, there's so many times that he says, if you do this, then you'll get this. And sometimes those are good and sometimes those are bad. Sometimes he'll put discipline in there. If you do these things, you know, if you do good, you're going to get a blessing. If you do bad, you're going to get a curse. And in the scripture that we read at the beginning, Matthew 6, 33, if you put that back up, this is a very specific if and then promise. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. That is our command. That is our if. If we seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, then he will give you everything that you need. So, here's my question. Do you have everything you need? And if you don't, it's not God. It's because of you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have given us the ability to talk with you back and forth to create a relationship with you, Lord. Um, all relationships require a communication back and forth. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the opportunity to communicate with you. God, you're the father of everything. You are the creator, God. And you, you allow us, you allow us your creation, to have a relationship with you. And, Father, I would ask that you would reach out to those of us that don't take advantage of that relationship, to put it in our heart. Fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we may have that desire to not only please you, but to talk with you and to listen to you. God, you've given, you, you, you said you have ears to hear. And all we have to do is talk with you. And that talking is through our prayer. So for those of us that don't have the proper prayer life, we're only hurting our relationship with you. It's because of us. Our prayer is our talking to you in the relationship. And then you've given us your word, Lord. You've given us the Bible to so that we can understand what you want from us. Too many times, parents don't communicate with a child and they do something wrong and then they get mad at them right away 
because the child doesn't know what to do. But Lord, you've, you've communicated to us with your word. We have the Bible to read. And that should be part of our daily communication, our daily relationship with you. I don't, I don't get up and talk or, or not talk with my wife for an entire day. I have a relationship with her. And you have provided that for us, God, a relationship. And we need to take advantage of that relationship and talk with you every day, Lord, through prayer and listen to you every day through your word, Lord. That relationship that you give to us is amazing because you are an amazing God. And Lord, you have, as a father, presented the way that you want us to live. You have presented the things that we should be afraid of and run from. And God, we just, as your children, oh, oh, we need to pay more attention to you. Oh, Lord, we need to desire you more. We need to reach out to you more. We need to trust in you more. We need to give our lives over to you, Lord God. And I would just ask on this day that you would help us. Because we obviously, obviously can't do it on our own. And I would ask that you would help us, Lord. Do the things you would have us do. Live the way you would have us live. Give us the strength through the Holy Spirit that we would gain the knowledge through your word and run from evil and gain wisdom through you. And in doing so, glorify you so that we can be a beacon, we can be salt and life, salt and light, and that we can do everything that we do in the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.